I'm still scared. I mean, there's still fear with everything, but I'm like, I'm just stepping up. I'm like, okay, I'm here to tell whatever the stories are that are coming through me. But I have to make myself available to them. I have to do the work to receive the inspiration, to be in the right place at the right time, to put the right teams together, to all of it. You're listening to Inside Acting, a podcast dedicated to demystifying the inner and outer game of success in the entertainment industry. I'm AJ Meyer. <laughs> and I'm Trevor Algott. Your, your announcer voice is in full force this morning, man. Uh, and coming up in episode 244, we have the third and final part of my chat with actress and filmmaker Sophia Savage. Uh, we dig deeper into her filmmaking process in this third and final part, including what she looks for and values when it comes to assembling a team, how all her films are basically her putting herself through film school, uh, some timeless wisdom picked up from famed director Werner Herzog, and what she's up to next. That and a lot of cool stuff coming up in episode 244. So stick around. Support for this episode of Inside Acting comes from Rehearsal Pro, the next version of Rehearsal, the essential app for actors. It's now available in the iTunes App Store, so check it out. If you want to learn your lines, be off book for your auditions, explore your character, and make stronger choices and do a whole lot more, go to rehearsal.pro slash IAP, as in Inside Acting Podcast, right now to learn about all the great new features in the new version of Rehearsal, the groundbreaking app designed by actors for actors. That's rehearsal.pro slash IAP. Good morning, AJ. How's the uh, how's the wildfire, smoke, ash situation treating you over there yeah, in uh, was, in your part of town? Say, I was going to say, I, I, the announcer voice is me just trying to make up for the fact that I am like, <laughs> I'm I'm sucking I'm sucking in uh, uh, ash from a fire that's quite a ways away. I haven't um, I haven't actually been like tuned into the news or anything. I just kind of woke up this morning and looked at my window and I I thought it looked awfully orange outside for you know six thirty seven a.m. Can you like what's going on? I mean I mean obviously it's been super hot here. It's going to get even hotter the next week or so. So it's just just like the state is just continuing to burn. There's a fire in Santa Clarita. For those of you not in Los Angeles, this is a uh, it's pretty far north of where we are. The smoke and we're pretty far south. We're about as far south as you can be and still be considered sort of in the L.A. area. And it's still like we had to close our windows last night, sort of button up. Um, yeah. And I'm all sniffly and coffee. So uh, I. Uh, yeah, you know, some years in L.A., the, the wildfires get so bad and, and there's supposedly like a year round thing now. Like that's climate change for you. They used to just be a summer thing and now they're just pretty much all the time because it's so hot and dry in this state and uh many years they've actually said like 
if you belong to like a sports organization that has outside workouts, outdoor workouts, uh, forget it. Illegal. You can't do that anymore right now because it's just too much of a health hazard. Wow. Yeah. Anyway, uh, let's pull in a little bit and get a little micro here and talk about your week. What, what's going on? You did you have a you had a meeting for uh, NCIS LA? Uh, it's 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 on Monday. So uh, actually, yeah. By the time this goes live, by the time this episode is published, I will have already had the meeting. Um, it's interesting. It's actually it's a it's a multi day guest star with two maybe three lines. Because okay. it's a Middle Eastern bad guy. Well, you know, what else is new? What, you know, uh, for me, anyway. Uh, and he gets captured by the agents. You know, LL Cool J captures him. And <laughs> what a cool story. It could be worse. <clears throat> what a cool story to be able to tell people. It's like, yeah, yeah. I got captured by LL Cool J. Anyway, and then um, they try to interrogate him for the rest of the episode and he doesn't say anything. So multi-day guest star uh, with like two or three lines. So kind of interesting. But anyway, there's not really any big takeaway. I'm excited to go in and, and, and do the audition. There's a lot of physical stuff. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, that, that, those, that physical stuff in the audition room is always so interesting because it's like, how, how far do I go with it? How cheesy do I get with miming this kind of thing? You know, when I, when I auditioned for um, Midnight Monster, uh, the audition scene, like I was like, you know, tied to a chair and getting punched in the face a bunch. And <laughs> I was like, oh shit, how do I, how do I do this and not seem like, you know, delusional or crazy or, or whatever. And I, I just totally mimed like getting punched and it worked, but it's one of those things where you're like, mm, how do you, how do you handle it? So how, how, how are you going to handle this physical stuff? How physical is this, this meeting? Uh, it's not too bad i mean it's a little bit of that you know what you were just saying it's a little bit of like sitting in a chair and miming them like handing me a phone that i smash on a table and stuff like that so you know there's some there's definitely some stuff i i think that a lot of casting directors don't care that much as long as you have like the physical idea of what is happening in the scene so I'm, that's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to focus on like, um, <clears throat> you know, at one point he hits somebody with a clipboard or something. So I'm just going to use my sides for that. Okay, um, cool. You know, that kind of thing. I, I think I think most casting directors, like, they get it. It's an audition. You know, it'll be different on the day. and You'll have a fight choreographer <laughs> and everything. Like, there's going to be, you know, some, some, some well-staged action. Has it crossed your mind to... Mm diffuse the uh, potential awkwardness of a very physically active audition with any sort of comment or preface of any kind? Oh, I'm definitely, yeah, that's going to be, you know, um, Jonathan Prince, who is a a really well-known writer, director, producer, who comes into Howie's from time to time every couple of years. He is a big uh, advocate for breaking the fourth wall before you start your audition to like just create a human connection with the people on the other side of the table. So my question is like, gonna my question for this audition is going to be something along the lines of, all right, all right, all right, how are we doing this, guys? Like, what, <laughs> what, mm-hmm. how are we going to make this work? You know, um, and you know, the thing is, is they're probably they're going to be dealing with actors all day, you know, having the same question. So 
<clears throat> at a certain point, they're probably going to have like a very set way of doing it. Um, or at least that's how it, uh, I've, I've noticed that it works, especially in like commercial auditions. They're like, all right, you're going to walk in, you're going to hit this mark, you're going to turn there, you're going to hand them this thing, you're going to look over there, you're going to high five, you're going to blah, 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 da, da, da. Okay? All right, let's practice it once. Okay, good. Here we go. You know, they, they do that a lot in commercial auditions. So I, m- I imagine they'll have something sort of lined up. That's really exciting, dude. I, I'm excited to hear how it goes. And those, those physical auditions are always a lot of fun. Yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be a blast, and I'm 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 doing uh, I'm doing that 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 thing that we talk about on the podcast. I'm I'm figuring out who I know and who I can reach out to. There's an actor that's a series regular on the show now, or has been for the last few seasons that I know through a mutual friend, and also I think it is a CBS Studios production. So um, my uh, my hope is that the um, manager of casting that I had my meeting with you know, about a month ago, um, has some kind of purview over this. And, you know, obviously there it's, it's not the casting director's job to cast someone. So her, what she can do is already done, right? I'm, I'm getting in the room and I don't know if she had anything to do with that, but, um, you know, it won't hurt to, to reach out and be like, Hey, you know, since our meeting, this is uh, my first time coming in. I'm, I'm excited. Cool. All right, well, this episode of Inside Acting is also brought to you by VO2GoGo.com, the award-winning voiceover training system and winner of Backstage's Reader's Choice Award for Best Voiceover Training four years in a row. You can visit VO2GoGo.com slash start to get access to a free getting started in voiceover online class that'll really set you up to win and help you add voiceover to your acting portfolio. So that's VO, the number two, gogo.com slash start. And we've got uh, two questions we wanted to offer our thoughts and response on. And the first one I'm going to kind of defer to you, AJ. This comes to us from uh, Corey. And Corey wrote us with this uh, a few weeks or maybe even months ago at this point. So, Corey, thanks for hanging in there and being patient. The core of her – see what I did there? Core. <laughs> the core of her question I'm sure she uh, loves that. or her situation is uh, she says that she's currently based in New York City – She's freelancing, or I think hip-pocketing is, is the term that you've used, AJ. In, in L.A., yeah, they, they say freelancing in New York and other, and other markets, but in oh, L.A. look at that. It's a regional thing. I like it that. It is a regional thing, yeah. Okay, so she's freelancing with an agent that she likes uh, in New York City, and uh, this agent sends her out quite a bit, but she has yet to book anything uh, with this agent. And since they're only in a freelance relationship, they're not signed, there's no contracts yet, she was wondering how much she should advertise her relationship with this agent, given that she may end up freelancing with another agent as well, since, you know, that's the perk of having a freelance relationship after all. So she's wondering, should she use her resume that has this this current freelance agency relationship contact information? Uh, f- should she use that on her resume for the auditions she's going to or just the ones that this agent sends her out on? Uh, on her website, she also asks, should she be listing 
this agent's contact information under the contact me page or should she just have the direct contact info so basically it's like how formal the does she want how formal should she be treating a freelance relationship uh, given that there's the potential for other agent relationships and that nothing is sort of set in stone yet i've never had this experience so i i know you have aj so yeah, i've been uh, hip-pocketed for a long time by by agencies Cool. Um, so, so what would you say to uh, to Corey on this? So, uh, I think I think this really, you know, it's it's funny. It, it doesn't seem like it, but it really does come back to um, relationships, which you know we talk about all the time on the on the podcast. It really comes back to your relationship with the agent. Uh, if it's going well and you like this person, and clearly you know they're getting you out quite a bit. Um, it doesn't hurt to have, you know, the contact information on, on your resume and maybe on your website. I don't know. The website thing is kind of – I'm a little on the fence about that one. As actors, very often – though this hasn't happened a lot on the podcast, you know, with Trevor and myself. But it does happen a lot and, and, and I don't know. Maybe, you know, there's no – there's no such thing as should. But I was going to say maybe we should uh, – it should be happening to Trevor and myself – but very often what happens with actors is we, we do change – like Corey said, we change relationships with agent with representation all the time. So you might have a new agent every year, every you know, few years, a new manager every, every you know, few years. And so for it, casting people tend to keep actors' material on file and they will remember you even if it's years later. <clears throat> and they'll pull that out, and if you're not with that agency, they call that agency. Like, oh, he's not with us anymore. He doesn't. He's not. She's not being represented by us anymore. Then they have your personal contact information there, uh, right? To to reach out directly to you. Um, of course, they can always find you on something like Actors Access or something, and that should have your up to date representation information. But coming back to what I was saying about the relationship with the agent. If you're going out on stuff that you're self-submitting for, let's say, and you don't have their stuff on your resume, you don't have their information on your resume, are you doing that because should you book that, you're going to keep 100% of the money? Or if you book that, would you still give them 10% out of a, a show of good faith? That's what I always chose to do because you know they are working – you know, especially in a relationship where she says she's getting me out a lot. That doesn't always happen when you're being hip pocketed or freelancing with an agency. They're not, you know, you're not necessarily getting a lot of meetings through that relationship because it's you're not on their full roster or you're not fully on their roster, however you want to put that. So the fact that she's getting you out a lot, that's kind of cool. That's showing that she's actually investing a lot, even though you're not under contract with her. Um, <clears throat> so that was my choice, but you get to make your own choice and anybody listening to this gets to make their own, their own choice on the matter. So if you are going to keep a hundred percent of what you make on a job that, that you self submit for, then don't put her stuff on your resume because you know, you're, 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 you're choosing not to have that relationship come into this new one you're making with a producer. That's fine. I also get that having an agency's watermark on your resume is a little bit of a marketing and branding thing. Someone out there thinks I am good enough to send me out and vouch for me and put me in front of, you know, casting people because they think I'm good enough to, you know, actually book professional work. 
So that watermark is kind of like a branding thing next to your name and your headshot that's on the other side or whatever. So, <clears throat> you know, there's also, there's also that. It adds, a, it adds a, a little bit of legitimacy, especially if the agency is, is well-known and if the person is connected and has relationships. And you never know when one of the things you self-submitted for and got called in for if that person has a relationship with your representation. Mm. That's, so a, that's a big thing to consider, yeah. Yeah, so they see the watermark on there and they go, oh, you're, you're, you're with so-and-so, that's great, how's that going? And then you don't mention that you're, being, that you're freelancing or being hip-pocketed, you're just like, oh, it's going great. Yeah, no, she really gets me and I get out a lot because of her. Mm-hmm. That's all you gotta say. You yeah, know? so it sounds like the, the sort of safest bet that would demonstrate the most faith in this relationship is to include both contact information, both this, this freelance agents and your, your personal contact info on a paper resume on the back of your headshot for now. I, I think so. And there, of course, there is the issue where she says, you know, what if I start freelancing with another agency? Because that is always a possibility, yeah. you know, and then it's like, well, uh, let's first of all, give me the problem. That's a good problem to have. Second of all, let's cross that bridge when we come to it. Uh, I don't really have an answer for that other than to say, make sure that you keep track of who's sending you out for what, where your auditions are coming from, and make sure you just use that person's or that agency's watermark for that audition. Because you can't, you know, if you have two on there, it might be, um, it might be confusing. Although, I don't know, the casting director is not going to be the one uh, negotiating the deal. The producers are the ones that are going to negotiate the deal with the agency who submitted you. So, I don't know. It's not really our problem uh, beyond that. Like once you book the job, you know, you are obviously our job is just go in the room and be good. Yeah. I do want to say uh, just quickly, because we're tight on time, that uh, I, I do think it's uh, a good choice, a, a supportive choice to always, always, always pay your agent their 10 percent, regardless of whether or not they helped you book the audition, regardless of whether or not it was something they sent you out for. Um, because not only does it strengthen the relationship and, and demonstrate faith, but also it kind of, you know, it's a nice, good person thing to do. And if it comes down to a situation where, you know, a, a, a studio or, or a network is asking that agent to send their top three picks for a, a role, uh, or a project and those three, you know, that character, that role is, is your type. And, you know, maybe this agency's got four or five people they could submit if you're in that list, they might just bump you up from position number four to position number three because you have been so good about, you know, keeping them in the loop on the work that you're booking yourself. Mm. Um, and so you, you never know. And I think it's, you know, it's a business and businesses are transactional and they run on, you know, relationships and goodwill and integrity. And I think that it's a good practice to to um, just always default to allocating 10% of your income from an acting gig to your representation, to your agent representation. If it's a manager, I think it's 15% is the standard, but always allocating that percentage to your representation, regardless of whether or not they had a hand in you booking that role. Uh, because it's, it's part of the deal, right? Mm. All right. Well, Corey, hope that helps. Hope that uh, is something you can take and run with. We have one more quick question we wanted to respond to from Erica. Erica is writing to us from Melbourne, Australia. 
that was awful. Um, she says she's yep. originally from the States, born in Boston, moved to L.A., then Miami, but has been back in Melbourne for six years now. And um, she says that she's an actress, has been for a long time. But the scene in Australia is a bit blah, she says, as in they don't work. There's not, not as many work opportunities uh, in Australia as there are in the States, uh, at least says her Aussie acting coach who was in the States for 20 years. And I think we've heard this before um, on the podcast that that's also the case. Uh, but she's finally, in, you know, she's enjoying finally doing the work after some time off. Uh, but she just had a baby 11 months ago and she hadn't started uh, any acting classes or anything until this baby was born. So her question is more of a it's more of a comment, actually, a solicitation, as it were. Uh, she would like to know what we think about late bloomers. Uh, and if, you know, there are quite a few actors who have made it in their later years, but but what are our thoughts? And we, we actually have responded to this before in the podcast, and our general response has always been, age is kind of just a number, kind of not. Uh, when it comes to the industry, yes, it's it's an industry that, that more or less capitalizes on young, pretty people. But for every, you know, uh, you know, young, pretty flash in the pan, there is someone who didn't start booking roles into their 40s or 50s and blew up and has been enjoying a wonderful career ever since. I know that sounds like an exaggeration, like Trevor, you, ki- you got to be kidding me. For every young, pretty person that books a role, you're telling me there's one person with a thrilling, long career. Maybe not one to one, but plenty of examples of people that work steadily. I mean, people that you may not know by name, but they're working constantly in regional theater, doing bit parts on television shows all over the world, not even just in the, the U.S. You know, domestic market or, or their you know, respective domestic market. So if you're willing to do the work, if you know your type and you're willing to do what it takes to build those relationships and just keep showing up, you're going to find success. I really, really believe that regardless of your age, regardless of what you look like. If you know what you're delivering, what you're providing, uh, then it's it's going to happen for you if you keep at it until you're really good. Um, that's that's my thought on, you know, quote unquote, late bloomers. Anything that you would add to that, AJ? Hmm. Uh, no, I mean, you know, like you said, we have uh, addressed it on the podcast before. And I just don't think I don't think there's such a thing, you know. It's um, it's something that you can always, you know, what is it saying that there's no such thing as like being rejected from acting like rejection is a myth. Like you yeah. can't actually ever be told you to, you know, you can't act anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So regardless of whether or not you're going out for like, quote unquote, professional deals or professional gigs, you can always be doing something. And I've heard there's a pretty uh, great, you know, theater scene in Melbourne. And I think a lot of the television shows that get shot in and produced in, in, in Australia are actually shot in, in Melbourne versus Sydney or, you know, Perth on the other side of the continent. You know, so <clears throat> anyway, I, the, yeah, I 100% in agreement, Trev. There's, there's, there's really no such thing as, as a good time to start or a bad time to start or being too late mm, yeah i think it's a uh, an unsupportive conversation that uh, we can all let go of let's roll into part three with uh sophia savage some really good stuff in here for the filmmakers listening if you are ready to rock with your film there's a lot in here you can take away to light a fire under your butt and get going so here it is part three with sophia savage we'll catch you guys on the other side 
Tyrion had very little dialogue. It was almost completely based on imagery and moments and just sort of being with this moment that was happening. And the dialogue, a lot of it felt almost improvised. One common mistake that a lot of beginning writers and filmmakers do is that they'll just pack that script with as much dialogue as possible. And I love the way that you really pulled back on that and just let the images and the moments speak for themselves. So was that a conscious choice or did that just how the, the story yeah, evolved? Yeah, so thank you. Um... So I wrote that, the Empyrean script I wrote when I was in a writing workshop at my acting school verbatim. Like, it was the first draft of the script I wrote, like, right after my dad died. So it was like, okay, I have to write a script, and my heart's just been ripped out. I guess I should write about this. And all I could bring myself to do was, like, write scenes as I remembered them. Like, things between me and my mom, me and my dad, whoever. Just, like the the dialogue that they spoke just the way it happened it was just completely i didn't make up anything wrote the script left it alone for a couple months came back to it at some point and was like this is kind of good and Hmm. i think i did kind of having been removed from it i think when i the state i was in when i wrote it was so like i don't know what just happened but like i just like took care of my dad as he was dying and now he's dead and now like what It, it, it was so like I just didn't understand, and it was a way for me to put it on paper. So then coming back to it months later, I could have a little bit more perspective and be like, wow, like, that's what I went through? Holy crap, like, that's crazy. And I think I probably tinkered with the script then, and then again went away, came back to it maybe a year after my dad died. And I remember, like, it was sometime in July, I remember sitting with a friend at like someplace in West Hollywood and just being like, I'm doing it. I don't know how, but I'm doing it. And I started assembling my team, started tinkering with the script a little bit more, added a few. There's one character that was a fictional element. Aside from that, it was all kind of based on on the true story, but kind of tinkered with it and started to see it more as, okay, this is going to be a film and how do I need to express the story visually, not just through what I remember. And through that period, the dialogue probably got pared down a little bit. And then when we were shooting, we, we definitely shot more dialogue than what is in the final film. Um, but so we tried improvising some things like we would run a scene with all the dialogue and then there's one in particular where I was just like, let's just do the scene with no dialogue. Like the emotional exchange is the same. It's going to result in the same person leaving and the same person being left. But like all nonverbal communication. Hmm. Let's just see if it works. And it did. And that's what we used in the final film. I love and that. there's another scene that we didn't use at all in the final cut because it wasn't necessary. Mm-hmm. And we shot some... I, you know, kind of insisted on having a long shoot schedule because I wanted to shoot the script and then have plenty of time to improvise. And a lot of what we improvised, which was really me and my cinematographer just being like, we're going to follow you guys. And I would kind of feed the actors like a dynamic, like, okay, you and dad are doing this and he just told you this and try that and just see how it goes. And we would just follow them. And it was magic. I mean, Mm -hmm. I don't know what else to say, but that when you prepare your actors well when you cast it well you choose the right location and you give your actors what they really need and none of what they don't the 
improv is just the most magical just the part. most magical thing yeah and it's not like let's just improv for fun like i knew i wanted to use the improv stuff i knew i wanted to get the dialogue scene so that we had it but my hope was like if this improvisation works that's gonna tell the story emotionally in a way that the dialogue can't yeah so when i was editing um the first cut I was editing with someone else and it got us part of the way there. I submitted that version to a lot of film festivals, spent a lot of money, but was not happy with it. You said when you first part you were editing with someone else, what do you, yeah. what do you mean? I was co-editing with somebody else. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I had never edited before, so I thought I needed to, and he had been, you know, co-producing with me, but long story short, it wasn't working out and I kind of finished it you know, feeling like, oh, there's all these deadlines. I just needed to be finished. So it was finished. And then I spent all this money for film festivals and wasn't having any luck and didn't like the film. So I was Mm -hmm. like, all right, I'm going to get a friend gave me some editing software and I recut it and cut like 11 minutes out. Wow. And the original was almost a half hour. It was 29 minutes, I think. And now it's like 18. Yeah. So cut out a lot got a lot more experimental, just really found pieces of footage that spoke to my heart, you know, Mm. like the parts that felt the most like I did during that period of my life. Mm. And I was like, I don't know if people are going to get this. It might be too ethereal and out there and not clear enough, but the whole film was like, it was such a cathartic thing for me. And I was like, if it's such a hard thing to articulate, what I went through. So I was like, if I feel while I watch this film that it's communicating something about my own experience, that even I have a hard time understanding, then maybe other people can relate to my story or their own story. Because hmm. everyone is going to go through this if they haven't already losing a parent. It might not be to brain cancer. It might not be the dynamic that my family had, but like it's going to happen, you know? Hmm. So I was much more happy with that second edit and really highlighted that improvisational spirit that we had, which was, um, I'm so glad that I had the team around me that I did because Mm -hmm. they really trusted me. And I think it was just out of respect for it being my own experience that they really, I think everyone felt like there was something kind of magical going on, like we all kind of had to surrender to what was meant to happen and just let it unfold. And it did. And I watch the film now and I'm like, as a filmmaker, I'm like, wow, I'm like, I feel like I've learned so much since then, Mm. but I'm also really proud of it because I had never directed something before. Mm. And to tell that story as like a debut there, I can't imagine being more exposed or vulnerable than I was with that film in terms of as an actor, as a writer, as a director, as a daughter, as a sibling, as everything. Mm. It was like, not only is this like my, me stepping out into the world of like what it is to be a director and potentially, or an actor and you know, all the criticism that can come with. And like, here's like this thing that has torn me apart and my family apart. Mm. Here it is. You know, but it felt great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> In a weird way. It was like, now it's out. 
It's really refreshing to hear this process because I know a lot of people and we've had a lot of people on the show. Nothing wrong with this, but, you know, they meticulously storyboard and break down their scenes and everything is sort of put in place before they even shoot. Then they shoot it, they get all the shots, all the angles, they go to the editing room and they completely reconstruct the film exactly as they'd envisioned it originally. And there's no soul. Well, maybe. I mean, sometimes, I mean, it, but it's, it's... I mean, I do that stuff too, to be clear. I, not always, but I am very much type A and do a lot of homework in pre-production. But the reason I do that is so I can get on set and throw and it throw away. It all away. Yeah. Just like with acting, like do your homework, use whatever technique you've learned, whatever book you've read. Like there's a gazillion different techniques and tools you can use as an actor too. So use it to prepare. But when you show up, throw it away so that you're actually living Present. it. Yeah. <laughs> otherwise everyone knows you're acting. Yeah. And that's the worst thing as an actor. You don't want people to look at you as like Sophia acting as this character. It's like, no, please forget that it's me if i'm doing mm -hmm. my job you will you yeah. know you gotta throw the homework away but you gotta do it it's uh, weird but yeah i love that yeah yeah well there's freedom within structure and you have to start with the structure in order to have that freedom to play because well, then the you sort of know what's out of bounds and what's not and mm -hmm. that's great so do you feel like you've got a certain style emerging um well do you think total moon and empyrean were I can tell that companion pieces of similar <clears throat> style. Uh, yeah, they have a similar okay. feel to them. Um, I mean, yeah, they're both slow, weird, disturbing, moody, lots of natural light and outdoors and sparse dialogue. So yeah, but then I just finished one that um, I would have showed you before I came, but it, it hasn't been color corrected yet. But I shot it last March or something. It's new. Cool. That one is totally different. Totally different. And you wrote, directed, yes, produced, all acted of the above. In. Okay, cool. And it's so weird, and it's kind of horror-ish. Oh shit! Which I, I never it. thought I'd do a horror, and it, it's not. But it, it like it's flirting with horror, mm. and it's all like hand handheld found footage, all the stuff that I don't like, typically. But the way, again, it was like what I was dealing with ideas I had, a location I wanted to use, a dynamic I wanted to play with, and it all came together pretty fast. And I shot it with um, my friend Amanda Adrian, who's also in Total Moon, and it came out of her and I kind of commiserating over what it is to be an actress in this industry, and um, it's weird. A horror it film is, about being an actress in this I mean, industry. it's weird. And it's, yeah, there, there's other films that, it, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of a cliche in terms of like, oh, it's about actresses, blah, blah, blah. But I feel that I, I used found footage and this situation in a way that I haven't seen before. And it was an experiment. All of my, all of my films are like, it's me putting myself through film school. And this is just like another class, another experiment. And I think it worked. Not perfect, but I think it worked. It's very weird for me to watch what's it called it's called victim number okay all right which was a working title all of my films i've given them working titles and then i never changed them you also did another one it was like uh gosh it was dark it was like a little girl in a ballet class that kills yes. her teacher 
Yes. Did I just give it away? I gave it away. That's okay. No one's ever going to see that one again, probably. <laughs> I only made that as um, part of my application to the AFI Conservatory. Oh, cool. Did it work? Did you get in? No. But um, I went to Werner Herzog's Rogue Film School this year in Munich and, mm. you know, sat across from him at a table and was like, I'm not really a film school person. It kind of goes against like everything I believe in. And, but like, I need help. I don't know what else to do to like make my career go somewhere. And like maybe AFI will be good for me and I'll learn more and I'll get more connections and blah, 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 blah. And Werner Herzog. And if none of you know who he is, you have to go Grizzly find out because he's amazing. Most and you have films. to go listen, find something with his voice because it's his voice that's really great. So he says to me, you don't need film school. Why? He's like, you're, it's a waste of your time. You do not need film school. Don't go. He's like, I mean, you can, but like you shouldn't because you're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. He's got a new master class and he says the same thing. I've watched the trailers for it and he's like, why the F would I need to go to film school? I mean, there's reasons. If you have parents that will pay for it and you want to be connected and get a job based on who you know, go to film school. That sounds really horrible, but I don't know. My, I've just like, I, you know, was raised by wolves in New Hampshire mm. So it feels like it would be cheating to go to film school now and just rely on some connections and kissing the right ass and mm -hmm. all that. It's just, I don't, I don't think I would have the same self-respect hmm. that I do now. Just knowing it's like, yeah, okay, well, they'll probably make more money and their careers will go better. But I've earned whatever I get. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think you're doing all right for yourself. I, I really, really enjoy your work and I can't wait to see Thank victim you. number, uh, and whatever other projects <laughs> oh are coming down the pipe. Yeah. I have two feature scripts. I want to direct them. If anyone listening wants to help me find money, I pro money? I've yeah. produced all my own short films out of necessity. Um, I don't really consider myself a producer, but I guess I am. Mm. Um, but producing a feature is something a little outside my, my yeah, expertise. It's a, it's a big step up. Yeah. I, I, I want to ask you one more question because sure. I know we've got to wrap up, but I want to ask you one more question before we get to our final two questions. Okay. So three questions. Great. Uh, and that question is, I, I, I get the sense that you have a very, um, or you at least put a very, a lot of emphasis on a healthy working relationship with your cinematographers because mm. the way your films are shot and paced like I can tell that it's very much a team effort mm -hmm. and especially just the way, like the mood of everything. So can you talk a little bit about how important it is for you to find a cinematographer that you enjoy yes. working with? Um, cinematographer is the first person I cast. They're really hire. the I other mean, director. Yeah. And I think it is a team effort. It's a collaboration. I, I don't want to work with a cinematographer who's just going to do what I tell them. I know what I like. I definitely can pull references and for what I like and what I don't like, but I don't have the technical expertise that a cinematographer does, nor do I have the set of eyes that they have. So I don't want the camera operator who just points and shoots. I want someone who's going to bring more to the table than I can alone. And I want them to be excited about engaging with that process. Mm -hmm. Chase Irvin, who did Empyrean, was the first person I brought on board and that film would not be close to what it is without him. Mm -hmm. That collaboration was great. He was very patient with me as I was 
you know, figuring out how to be a director and what to do. But he really trusted my vision and he trusted my taste. And I trusted the same with him. We were just very simpatico with like, what do we like? What looks good? What what do we need to value here? It's all performance, has to be truthful, yeah. you know? So I, he had a good time because I think I was like, I want you to experiment and explore as much as I am. So that was great. And then for Total Moon, I worked with another great cinematographer named Drew Dawson. And he, you know, I think he wanted me to be more directing things which was fine because that was a very our setups were like very intentional not really moving shots it was a very different style but he and I you know talked a lot about how to kind of use this incredible environment and how to frame everything and just the pace and and he I mean as you can see he's very talented I'm I'm really where did you find that house it's in Big Sur (laughs) location is everything yeah so yeah yeah, the cinematographer like um to me they're magicians Mm. because they understand things and and their and their mind is all very technical but to me what they do is magic just the fact that a camera can record an image like photographs still baffle me so let alone film Mm. right or you know digital cinematography so it's all magical to me and I am super blessed that I've been able to have these cinematographers like my writing enough that they go on the journey mm-hmm. with me, you know? Yeah. Awesome. Well, I love that. I have, we have two questions we like to ask all our guests before we wrap up. And the first one is, do you think, or do you feel that this journey, this experience, this industry, this life path chose you or that you chose it? I think we all have, maybe not all, I think I was called to step up and I could choose not to, but I, I am choosing to respond to the call, Hmm. you know, and like the, um, what is the, what is it called? The Joseph Campbell hero's journey journey, right there's like the there's the the call and then there's like the refusal of the call and i probably had the refusal of the call for a while where it was like it was obvious to everyone else that this is what i was meant to be doing and i was like scared Hmm. and i'm still scared i mean there's still fear with everything but i'm like i'm just stepping up i'm like okay i'm here to be used for this whatever this is to tell whatever the stories are that are coming through me, but I have to make myself available to them. I have to do the work to receive the inspiration, to be in the right place at the right time, to put the right teams together to all of it. You know, it's absolutely a choice, but it is a choice in response to something else. I think, does that make sense? Yeah. I feel like there's probably a great quote that says what I just tried to say. (laughs) (laughs) We'll we'll find it. We'll stick it in the show notes. Uh, And then secondly, if you could take all your experience, all your mistakes, all your huge wins, take everything and condense it down into one little nugget of wisdom to pass on to somebody who is looking to do something authentic in the entertainment industry. What would that nugget of wisdom that you'd pass on be? Can I quote Werner Herzog? You sure can. 
So he says, when I did this course with him, the the best little nugget he gave, and he gave a lot. Um, he says, or he talks about the economy of the soul. You know, you need to do what is doable. He's all about being rogue and finding a way and breaking rules and breaking laws if you have to, to like get the story told or to get the shot, whatever it is. So do what is doable. But there is an economy of the soul. And meaning you can, once it's spent, it's spent. And you have to keep it intact and be aware of when you're kind of flirting with disaster and on the edge of like, if I do this thing, is it going to compromise my soul? Hmm. Because that's not worth it. Nothing is worth it in this industry to compromise that Hmm. and nothing in any industry in any situation is worth compromising your soul whatever that means to you Hmm. you know to me it it, it speaks very much to me when he says that but I think it's it's really sage advice because there's so many things that seem seductive and seem like a good idea and seem like maybe they're going to help and maybe it's going to work out but just know to rec- when to recognize, like, if, if this is going to compromise the soul. Hmm. That's powerful. Because you might fail at everything else, but if you have that, you're fine. Yeah. Because you can't, nothing can buy that back once it's gone. Yeah. Sophia, if people want to find out more about you and what you're up to, where can they go? My website for um, directing is savagesophia.com. And for acting, it's sophiasavage.net. Um, I'm on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Instagram is at Savage Sophia. It's not that exciting. I don't post lots of selfies, but <laughs> there's other things in there. I travel a lot, so it's um, kind of a glimpse into the things I care about. Um, I'm shooting a feature in Kansas this summer. Awesome. I'm really excited. It's my first feature, and it's with another... Um, another director who did Werner Herzog's seminar a couple of years ago. And um, hopefully that'll be coming out soon. And I have my film victim number. And if anyone's interested in, um, I don't know, I don't really want to do the festival route, but it's probably what's going to happen. So mm-hmm. yeah, if anyone watches my work and wants to collaborate, I'm super down. Awesome. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Hope you don't get completely flooded. I mean, not like super down, like for anything. I'm very picky, but if people respond to my work and, and if any of what I just said makes sense to people, then, um, I'm always excited to meet like-minded artists who kind of, um, believe in the same values that I do artistically. So thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you for being here, Sophia. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Hey folks, welcome back. Uh, you know, there's some uh, really great stuff in this in this section, and I, I haven't heard it, but I read through your notes, Trev, and um, it's so funny because, you know, how often has it happened where, you know, you or I have some stuff going on in our, our personal or professional lives, and then the interview that comes along hits on those same themes, you know, and uh, she talks about magic, in this mm-hmm. section and that's my you know my pick of the week anyway yeah yeah, yeah. It's, it's just great great stuff yeah lots of good quotes uh, that i pulled from this um 
Uh, as you have heard, I'm very inspired by her work and really excited to see what she's doing next. And I, it's just so much good stuff. Like between this and Blake Robbins' uh, interviews and Brandy Ford's interviews, there's just a wealth of information about how to make your own film and really do it right. Set yourself up to win from the very beginning. So also, I want to, I just want to mention that uh, one thing I'm going to start doing is taking the full interviews, unedited, you know, full interviews, all bunched together into one, you know, long thing. And we're going to post them in the membership. So people who would like to go back and reference those or just have them on hand, uh, they'll be able to download, access and download the full interviews with, without us talking on each end. So it's uh, a little bit easier for them to re-listen to everything in, in one hit. So I love that. Another little perk that's for the membership. Yeah. yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. All right. So uh, speaking of magic, you said, and this is something that I am so behind on. You said you're late to the party. I'm even later to the party. Your pick of the week. Yeah, I know I'm late to this party, but uh, Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Um, I think it was Timothy Patrick Waterman, our our, uh, uh, PR social media guru. He's been doing such a great job, by the way. Hi, Tim. Uh, He was like, you know, posting this in our, um, you know, our, our project management system that we use for the podcast saying like, oh my God, everybody has to listen to this or read this or whatever. I've been listening to the, uh, to the audio book. I'm not finished, but the reason is my, it is my pick of the week is because, well, I'll give you two. Uh, you know, I said, I'm not finished. And even though I'm not finished, I have already laughed and cried really hard, mm. laughed really hard and cried really hard listening to this. It is unbelievable. And the second reason is it is unbelievable because it is, in Tim's words, such a love letter to artists. Mm. <clears throat> um, she, she says multiple times, and I do believe that this is true, that the ideas in the, 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 ideas in, in, in the book or the, 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 the overall sort of thesis of the book does not just apply to artists. It can apply to um, anyone because she believes that creative um, pursuits and creative results can come from, you know, anyone, engineers, doctors, accountants, you know, whatever. And so it, it, it really could, can be f- for anyone. Um, but obviously with the, because it is, you know, about living a creative life, people who are creative will just eat it up. And it's so inspiring and it will probably change the way that you look at your art and the way that you live your life on a daily basis as far as your relationship to your own creativity. Mm. Um, wow. So anyway, there's a link to the, uh, the, the book on Amazon. But, and you, you, you said know. you're listening to the audiobook. I'm listening right now. I'm just listening to to sections of it on um, Audible. Yeah, uh, but I'm I'm definitely going to read the whole thing cover oh, to cover. That's it's, that's it's awesome. Incredible. Yeah, and she narrates the audiobook, right? She does. Yeah, it is. It is all her. It I could listen her. to her <laughs> read or do <laughs> anything. She, she's. It's funny because she's not in her like TED Talk mode. She has like a little bit of a. Um, 
audiobook voice, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's so well written. It, it could, I don't know, it could, it could be read by somebody who was just reading monotone, and yeah. it would probably be just as effective. Yeah, because she, she's an immensely, immensely talented writer, wonderfully rich and deep heart. I love her and her work to pieces, and this has long been on my list. I just got to get on this. So Big Magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. All right. So Check it out. Yeah. And I actually, I've, I heard recently about your pick of the week. Some, it's been floating around. A lot of people are, are jumping on board with this. Yeah, it's kind of a silly little thing that's also simultaneously very, very awesome. And I, I discovered it like a, a year ago, and I started using it like a year ago. And I, I think I invited you to it, AJ. I'm not sure if that email invite ever got to you or not. It's a task list manager to-do list type thing it's web-based app-based digital whatever you want to call it but it gamifies things by basically putting your to-do list in the context of a sort of old school rpg an old school role-playing game and it's called habitica so i'm sure some of our listeners have heard of it you can find it on habitica.com there's a free version that that you can do and then there's also like a five bucks a month version you can do to unlock extra features and it's just a fun way of, of sort of playing a game as you stay productive. And I, I'm always, you know, sort of tweaking my systems and seeing, you know, what's going to provide the sort of optimal um, situation for me. And things work for a while, and then I'm looking for something more as I sort of evolve. And uh, lately I've just been, like, really having this hankering to play a game. It's just a fun little thing. You can team up with friends and you basically plug in your to-do items. You can do habits. You can do you know, negative and positive habits. You can do to-do items. You can do dailies. And you can assign a sort of difficulty level. And then as you check them off, your little avatar character guy will gain gold. He'll gain experience points. And you can... Um, you know, hatch eggs that you discover on your, you know, quote unquote quest of productivity and you can unlock new armor and things and and backgrounds for your kids. It's just a cheesy, fun it. little thing that, that gamifies your everyday to-do list. And I love Todoist. I love my little moleskin notebook. I love Coach.me. These are all sort of the same thing. But Habitica adds that layer of, of gamification to it that I'm really enjoying. It's <laughs> so cool. So AJ, you should sign oh, up, so dude, cool. and we can be in a in a guild together. We can actually go slay monsters together by by being yes. productive. If you sign up, let me know, and we'll we'll connect in the system, and then we'll be in like a, a tribe together. Uh, I have zero games on my on my phone right now, zero, including no Pokemon Go. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, Habitic, this is me, I'm literally typing it into the app store. Yeah, yeah there's an app for it, and you can also, I, I, right now, I've only been doing it for a couple of days, but I use a combination of the app and the, the web interface, uh, the website, I just kind of have it open in a tab uh, as I go through my work throughout the day. All right, so that's Habitica and Big Magic. We do have a listener pick of the week that we're going to shelve and talk about next week, because we're out of time. But uh, make sure you check out Habitica if you like it. Uh, shoot us a tweet and let us know, and we'll team up on there. So today's episode of Inside Acting was produced and co-hosted by me, uh, Trevor Algott, and AJ Meyer. Jen Levin is our production coordinator. Gadali Gubrek is our marketing and web director. Deborah Smith is our community manager. Timothy Patrick Waterman is our director of public relations. Trevor Algott, that's me, mixed and edited today's episode and composed our theme and interview music and our logo. That thing 
all versions of it were designed by the contagious Fern Lim. Contagiously enthusiastic and giddy. Contagious. <laughs> you can sign up for our weekly email dispatch and listen to all of our episodes at our website, InsideActing.net. You can also find us on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iTunes. <gasps> Go ahead and leave us a review on that, uh, that there iTunes if you'd like. You know, it's like putting a little tip in our tip jar because it helps other people find the show as well. Big thanks to our sponsors, Rehearsal Pro and VO2GoGo.com. And a big thanks to you, our listeners. If you dig this show and you want to maximize its value and in your life and career and support the continued production of it, you can sign up as a member or make a one-time donation. But if you sign up as a member, you get cool perks. Like you get access to our membership message board. You get cool freebies. You get invites to exclusive member meetups and outings and mastermind groups and all sorts of stuff. Just visit InsideActing.net and click on the membership tab. And that is all she wrote for episode 244 of Inside Acting. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you next week. And in the meantime, believe in magic. <laughs>